Um, but yeah, good morning. Welcome. My name is Eric. If you don't know me, I have the pleasure of being a part of the pastoral team here at Grace. Uh, and we are walking through the book of Daniel. We are now in the sixth week, sixth chapter. And really, as you look at the book of Daniel, uh, one of the themes you see again and again is just God's sovereignty. Uh, so thank you, Christy, as you led worship this morning with that theme of just uh, God being the King of Kings, that He reigns, that He is sovereign over all that goes on. And we see God's faithfulness again and again. But today in our series in Daniel, we get to visit one of the most famous Old Testament stories there is. Uh, if you've been in church at all since you were a kid, you probably heard it in Sunday school. And it's easy when we hear a story like this to assume we know what it's all about, uh, to assume we know where we're going, uh, and to check out a little bit. Uh, but one of the things I, I love about this narrative in Daniel 6 with Daniel in the lion's den is there's so many layers to it. And it's both incredibly practical and while also having deep gospel roots. And so I'm going to pray and dive in because we have a, a good chunk of uh, scripture to cover here today. Jesus, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak. Nothing is on accident. Nothing is there without purpose. We thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit joins us today. That, Lord, we just pray that you would fill me, that you would speak through me. And if there are words that are from you, they would be remembered. And if they are not from you, they'd quickly be forgotten, Lord. We just thank you and ask that you would speak this morning through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a few different sections through this, through this chapter and kind of stop at different points and hit application as we go. But basically what we know so far of Daniel, as we heard last week uh, from Will, was that uh, basically that very night in 530, says so that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And that quick transition to Darius the Mede, who received the kingdom, and he was being about 62 years old. And so that's kind of where the setting we're at is that this is now the Babylon Empire has ended and the Mede-Persian Empire has stepped in uh, and they have taken over basically overnight. And this is now the fourth kingdom that, the uh, fourth king that Daniel has served under. And so we'll start in verse one. It said, it pleased Darius set over the kingdom 120 satraps, sub-governors of the, of the area, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so the king might suffer no loss. This, then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. So what we know from history is that this transition occurred in 539 BC. Uh, it's when the, the Babylon Empire ended and the Mede-Persian Empire stepped in. We also know, like I said, that Daniel served under now four kings for about 70 years as the exiles were taken away in 605 BC. And so Daniel had been faithful these kingdoms throughout all this time, but ultimately, more so than the kingdoms, he's been faithful to God. At this point, Daniel's probably somewhere in his mid-80s. The, the common knowledge is that our common assumption is that Daniel was in his teens when he was taken away from Jerusalem. Now he's in his mid-80s. 
that didn't change Daniel's commitment to excellence through all that time. And so I just want to take a moment to kind of look to some of our more veteran saints. It's easy in our, in our culture to hit that idea of like, we hit that 65, we hit retirement, and that's kind of a time we check out a little bit, and we kind of do whatever we want to do for ourselves. But you see in this example in Daniel, at even in his mid-80s, he was striving to live for the excellence of the Lord and striving to live for the excellence of the kingdom. And so just as a quick encouragement to you guys, we need, veteran saints, we need your example. We need your example of faithful living over the long haul. We need the wisdom you have gathered over the long haul walking with Jesus. And so thank you for walking with Jesus the long haul, but also keep going. God's not done with you yet. So for four rulers, Daniel faithfully lived in this foreign land and sought the welfare of the city he lived in, the city of Babylon, this foreign land. He was good at what he did, so much so they wanted to set him over the whole kingdom. In verse 3, he was distinguished above all the others. In verse 4, it says he could not find, one, find any ground for complaint or fault. And so we kind of, as we walk through this passage, we're going to look at three main points, really the first one being Daniel's faithfulness. And you see, like I said in this passage, in verse 3, verse 4, you see how he stood out above all the others. The NIV translate, translates that last verse this way. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Typically in a system like this where you have a, a ruler and you have your couple high officials and your, uh, your rulers under that, everybody would kind of use that opportunity to make a name for themselves and maybe take a little bit off the top of whatever they're doing so they could prosper themselves in the process. But for Daniel, there was no corruption in him. Daniel lived faithfully to the ruler of Babylon and his job overseeing the kingdom. And it really reminded me as I was thinking about this to look back to Jeremiah 29, where Jeremiah sent a letter to the Israelites in exile. He said in Jeremiah 29, 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord in its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Or the NIV puts it this way, seek the peace and prosperity of the city which, you have, which I have carried you into exile. That, that idea of peace, prosperity, welfare, the Hebrew word there is shalom. It's a word that we don't really have an exact comparison for in the English, word, English language, but it's the idea of completeness wholeness, the well-being. This is what the Israelites were told to do as they entered into a foreign land. At first, when they first got there, they were tempted to just kind of live on the outskirts and kind of essentially live isolated. But Jeremiah, well, God through Jeremiah encouraged them to be involved, be uh, seeking the welfare, seeking the shalom of the city that you're in. And in their prosperity, you will prosper. And their welfare, you'll find welfare. So Daniel took these words to heart and for 70 years lived faithfully serving the king of Babylon and then now the Mede-Persian Empire. And we, like Daniel, live in a land that's ultimately not our home. We look to heaven as our ultimate home. And so we live in a land that is not our long-term home. And so as I think about this point of Daniel's faithfulness and, and living and striving for excellence, there's a few practical application points uh, in this. The first one just being that living faithfully means seeking the welfare, the peace, prosperity, well-being, completeness 
of our city, of our, of our community. To seek the shalom of our city, we must be involved in our city. And by city here, it could mean Baltimore. It really just could mean the community you're living in is what I was really seeing in this. Are we faithfully living out God's call in our life to seek the welfare of our community around us? I think about that as a church. I think about what we talked about earlier with Kingsville Elementary, or things like the Perry Hall Fair, or things like uh, supporting more ministries like Beachmont and FCA, Araminta, the Crisis Pregnancy Center, and why we've supported multiple church plants in the city as well. All of this with the goal to seek the completeness of our community around us. But let's bring this closer to home. What does this mean for us? If Daniel was faithful in what he did to strive for excellence in his job, what does that mean for us in our own jobs? How are we seeking the excellence in our jobs? Are we doing our, giving our best efforts or are we just coasting? Are we thinking about how we're loving and caring for our neighbors around us and serving them? Does anyone have reason for complaint against you? Are you evaluating each season of our lives where we can be involved to serve our community? I was thinking about this in, in some of the different areas of my own life, and I was thinking about how there's things like, I don't know, uh, yeah, where we live and our neighbors, our, our jobs, um, the schools we send our kids to, uh, sports teams, and different ways we're involved in our community. And I think it's a, a challenge to all of us to consider how are we evaluating those times, how are we using them to be involved in seeking the shalom in the community around us. And I know each family thinks about those different things very differently, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But in all those different areas, we need to be evaluating continually how are we seeking the welfare of our community. As we see in Daniel, he lived faithfully for the for the kingdom of Babylon at first, and then now the Mede-Persian Empire, he lived faithfully to seek the welfare of the city he lived in. But let's keep reading. Uh, Daniel 6, 5, it says, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel, this Daniel, unless we find it in connection with his law of his God. And 6 through 9, I kind of summarize that a little bit because we don't have time to read everything. Uh, basically, in 6 to 9, it talks about how the other officials went to basically conspire against Daniel to figure out a way they can find something against him because they were jealous of him getting put over, the, potentially getting put over the entire kingdom. In Daniel 6.10, they, well, they had this decree put forth in 6.9 from the king saying, like, anybody worship any god or anybody pray to any god besides the king, that they would be thrown to death in the lion's den. And so in 6.10, Daniel says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. So as you think about these different pieces of this first section, the first part being that to live faithfully means we seek the welfare of our city. The second practical application piece I have in this, in this section is living faithfully starts in our private lives. You see in verse 610 there, how when Daniel knew the document had been signed, what did he do? He went home and he prayed, just as he'd always done. And he'd done it about three times a day. So Daniel hears this ordinance being signed, this, this objection to potentially being able to worship, to pray to his God. And what does he do? He went home, goes into his upper chamber, and prayed. He gives thanks to God. He didn't go and 
ask the king to change the law. I didn't go and protest the law. But he went and he prayed to God in the privacy of his own home. And the other key idea I see here is not only did he go first to God, but as well, it says that he had done this previously. He didn't just start praying when things got tough. Oftentimes we can go to prayer when things are really hard. Um, but what you see in this example is that this is a continual practice of Daniel's. He had done this previously. To live faithfully in public, it starts with our private life. And this is the key. It is through personal, ongoing time spent with God in prayer and His Word that God changes our heart and enables us to live faithfully in public. As I've walked with students for about 10 years or so in college ministry and now here at church, um, this is the number one indicator, I think, of when, if someone's going to last in their faith the long haul, is are they spending time on their own, in the Word, and with God. Spurgeon puts it this way, private prayer is the drill ground for our more public exercises. Neither can we long neglect it without being out of order when before the public, before the people. Or George Mueller puts it this way, but let none think that public prayer will make up for closet communion. This idea of meeting with God intentionally on our own makes all the difference in the world as we look to Follow him in public as well. So do whatever it takes to start here. Do whatever it takes to uh, find time to meet with God. There's nothing as an adequate replacement for meeting with God daily through our private time in the Word and prayer. And if we're not poured into, then what do we have really to pour out to others? And this is the time we have to meet with God and him fill us up as we seek to pour out and, and mentor and lead others. And as I've heard Don say multiple times in different sermons through, the, through my time here, you never drift towards God. So if you're not being vigilant about spending time with the Lord, you will drift away by nat in natural order. So guard that time. Protect that time. Guard against the drift. So living faithfully means seeking the welfare of our city. Living faithfully starts in our private lives. And the third point I see here in practical application is living faithfully to God may bring strife and contempt from others. What we see in this passage is that because Daniel is seeking excellence and, and doing well, it made others jealous. Because, and it, the reason they found fault in him ultimately was through his faith alone. There's nothing he did otherwise that would cause any sort of uh, fault there. And so we, what we see and continue to see in today's passage is that living faithfully can bring strife and contempt. What I mean, that, what I mean by that is we seek to live faithfully to God at some point along the way there will be points where we have to decide whether to obey the law of God or obey the law of man. In chapter 1, Daniel and his friends set themselves apart by what they would not eat, would and would not eat. In chapter 3, we saw their unwillingness to bow before another idol. And we see it here in Daniel when he prays when he is forbidden to. And what we see in Daniel is someone who lived faithfully in the kingdom he resided in, but more importantly, to God. And we see this in other areas of Scripture, like Acts 5 with Peter. It says in Acts 5, And when the, they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you are. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and his apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. As we seek to live out our Christian lives 
And there's times where this idea of the uh, law of the land and the law of God come in conflict. By nature, they will. If we're living out faithfully the law of the Bible and the law of God, things are blatantly clear in Scripture that sometimes culture goes against. By nature, a secular culture that, like the one we live in, will have places of conflict with those who follow the God of the Bible. For much of our American history, our culture is mostly reflected Christian values. So it's made it easy to live out our faith in this process. But as we know, our culture is rapidly changing, and I would expect over time we'll find more and more moments in our lives where we have to have this decision-making process in our life, looking at the law of the land versus the law of the Bible. And that doesn't mean preparing for war or even fighting for our rights. What it does mean is faithfully obeying God over man. And sometimes that may lead to contempt and persecution. What we see through the lives of Daniel, through the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Peter, and many others in Scripture, is that culture wars and trying to change public policy is not the way in that process. One of the commentaries I was reading put it this way, Christians do not fight for their beliefs by assaulting or killing, but by dying. Our willingness to risk our lives is what will turn the heads of the secular culture that surrounds us. Our complaints, our legislative efforts, our attempts to compel people to live according to our standards of morality will only close their ears. And as I thought about this, it really challenged me because I think our human logic states that, hey, if we want something to change, we go and make this change happen. But I found it interesting as I read these verses and I see the different examples in Scripture, how really what we're called to do is live faithfully to God in our, in our own private lives oftentimes doesn't necessarily involve us going and making changes and trying to change the culture in that process. Really, that oftentimes closes ears. So we've seen Daniel's faithfulness through living faithfully, seeking the welfare of the city. We see his faithfulness in his private life. And living faithfully to God may bring strife and contempt. And I expect that to be even more so as we go on in our, in our history as we are now. But let's take a look at God's faithfulness in this process. And this is where you think about the typical story you hear in Daniel 6. This is what we're getting into now is the lion's den. And so I'm going to try and skim this a little bit because there's a lot of verses here. Um, but just stay with, stick with me and we'll get through this uh, lion's den uh, scene, which you're probably already familiar with anyway. So Daniel 6, verse 13, it says, Then they answered and said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. So the king, and then a couple of verses later, so the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Go ahead and keep going. Next slide. I'm going to keep reading there. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. And the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. 
Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from, this, from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever, have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted up from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted to his God. There are so many little things to note in this passage. I really don't have time to dwell on all of it. Like, for example, I love how, look, seeing how Daniel had a peaceful night in the den of lions. And yet the king, sleeping in his royal palace, is restless and couldn't sleep a wink all night. It's a great contrast there. A picture casts of how, being, how peace is found ultimately being where God is, not just your circumstances. Or obviously, the, the easily seen, seen theme here is God's power to overrule any circumstances around us, the evil intentions around us, and bring about rescue. We see God's faithfulness here to Daniel. We see this in countless other situations through Scripture, this idea of God being able to, no matter the circumstances, rescue. We see it in stories like Joseph in Genesis, where Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And what they meant for evil, God meant for good, as we see in Genesis 50, verse 20. And what happened to that story? His brother sold him into slavery due to jealousy of the favor he had. Sound familiar to our Daniel story? Or though his brothers intended harm, Joseph ended up in the Egyptian palace and distinguished himself before the high officials there. Sound familiar to our story today? God then used Joseph to save his family from certain death through starvation because of an intense famine. So that story comes that climax of Genesis 50. As, you, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as, as they are today. Or I think a common verse of Paul talks about in Romans 8. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God is in the business of doing the extraordinary, provide rescue no matter the circumstances. And seeing the miraculous rescue of Daniel is great. But really, as I study this passage, the thing that jumped out to me over and over was a connection to another Bible story. And I want to look at how this story in Daniel parallels the story of Jesus. And so I just have a few different comparisons here. I, I put five up here. I saw a couple other places where people put eight to ten of them on here. Um, but I think these five really stuck out to me. And I think about the parallels of the story of Jesus both fell prey to conspiracy without actual fault. Where Daniel was set up, as we read earlier, the Pharisees set out to destroy Jesus in Matthew 12. Both prayed and got arrested while they were praying. Daniel, when he was praying in his home, Jesus, in another mostly private location in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was arrested while he was praying. In both cases, the judge sympathizes with the accused and actually seeks to release the prisoner. See that with Darius, how he was immediately anguished that his friend Daniel was arrested and sought all night to figure out a way to, to save him from this. And you see Pilate, where he says in, in uh, John, where he found no accusation against Jesus, and he sought to release him. But yet the people voted to crucify him and free Barabbas instead. Both are then sentenced to death. In both cases, the designed tomb 
was, had a stone rolled in front of it and a sealed shut in that process. There's other similarities as well. But the difference, of course, is that when Daniel was found blameless, Jesus took our blame upon himself. Where Daniel was spared by God, Jesus took that wrath. He was not spared. He was brutally executed. When Daniel was seen again in the morning a few days later, or the next day, he had no scratches on him. But we know in the story of Jesus that when he was seen again a few days later, the wounds from the cross were still there. The nail marks, the spear mark. Jesus really is the better Daniel who faced the proverbial lion's den and took the punishment he didn't deserve so that we would be spared like Daniel was. And Jesus did all of this to offer us relationship, of course. Jesus is the better Daniel in the story. My big idea, of course, in this is, my big idea for today is simply this. Remembering God's faithfulness empowers us to live faith-filled lives. As we look at the story of Daniel, God's faithfulness, and the story of God's faithfulness throughout all of history is what fueled him, enabled him to live faithfully, to seek the welfare of the city, to that starting in his private life. And I, of course, forget my other one. And, of course, it brings strife and contempt from others. So to, to walk through all those things, God's faithfulness empowers him to do those things. And what was the result of both stories? The result of both stories is that God's name and goodness went forth. For Jesus, it, of course, birthed the church. That's why you and I are here today, to celebrate and remember what God has done through Jesus. For Daniel, it was God's goodness was declared first to Darius and then to the world. And let's take a moment to look at this idea of God's glory and how you see it in the, in the verses in Daniel 6. And I first want to take a moment just to look at Darius's story in that process. And I love his progression as we go through these verses. So Daniel 6, 6, 16, it says, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the lions, dead of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually del deliver you. So you see the words that, da that Darius used in that moment. May your God, who you serve, rescue you. A few verses later in Daniel 6.20, in the morning after the, lion, uh, the, the night in the lion's den, Daniel says, When he came near the den, he called to Daniel, and Darius came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, whom you serve, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? So it started out, may your God. Then it went to the living God. You see how God's been working in that restless night as Darius sat in his royal throne room, unable to sleep, how God had worked in his heart and his mind to go from your God over there to this God's living, but he's still your God, but this God's living. And then a few verses later, you have Darius's decree to all the nations in Daniel 6, 25-27. It says, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. 
His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to, no, to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And you see even further that development of what God's doing in, Dar- in Darius' heart. Not only is he a living God, but he endures forever. He's acknowledging his, his longevity of his forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. He's acknowledging his sovereignty, that he is the king over all kings. He rescues and saves. He has power to do whatever he pleases. And he rescued Daniel. You see, we don't know exactly where Darius ended up in that process, but you see how God's working on him in that process through the faithful living of Daniel, faithfully living out his calling and commitment to his faith in the midst of doing his job excellently. And all of the scriptures from Jesus to this story is for his glory to be known among the people. And so you have this example of Darius sending this to all the known world at the time. He said it's to be sent to all the peoples, nations, and languages to dwell in all of the earth. And you see how God works crazy difficult situations with seemingly impossible odds to still send his glory forth to all the world. As I think about this passage, the natural conclusion point of of this passage really is to to remember. You think about most Old Testament narratives, the application simply is to remember. So, Ben, you can head on up here, and we're going to transition here in a minute to communion. So Darius reminds us that God of the Bible is living, enduring forever. He has dominion and reigns forever. He rescues. And how do we respond? We respond with remembering, just as Jesus says in, in the Gospel of Matthew, the many parables that he gave throughout his time uh, walking this earth, many of the application points is to remember. I think about Matthew, uh, uh, the, yeah, talking about not worrying passage in Matthew 6. He recalls the different points of the Exodus and calls the people to remember, and that is by which we're, why we live faithfully, to remember his faithfulness. I think oftentimes Old Testament narratives, one of the main applications is simply to remember. And so today we remember God's faithfulness. We remember it, his faithfulness to the exiles. We're reminded today of God's faithfulness to us today. And we remember God's ultimate faithfulness on display on the cross in the person of Jesus. We're told in 1 Corinthians that when we come together as a body, we're to remember by taking communion. We're to remember what Jesus has done. Remembers back to the, the Last Supper where it says, this is my body whom I is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So here at Grace, we practice what we call open communion. So if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're welcome to join us today, and if you haven't, this is a great time to think about and dwell on God's faithfulness. And maybe, just like Darius was confronted with the living God who rescues and saves, maybe today you're being confronted with that reality of a living God who rescues and saves. And I would take a moment and just think about what Jesus did on the cross for us, where he took the punishment that Daniel was spared from, that we were spared from.
Jesus took that for you and for I, for me, for us to know him, to offer a relationship with God again. And so we come together today to celebrate his faithfulness, his goodness to us, and what he did on the cross ultimately. And so I just want to take a moment to pray and kind of take a moment to reflect on God's faithfulness to you, God's faithfulness to us, ultimate display on the cross.